Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Today is Wednesday, September 22nd, 2021. Coming up on Roller Martin Unfiltered Breaking News. Uh, acclaimed director Melvin Van Peebles has passed away at the age of 89. We will talk with a number of Hollywood luminaries, directors Rob Hardy, cinematographer Ernest Dickerson, and many others to share their thoughts about Melvin Van Peebles. We also have an exclusive statement from Bill Cosby, who helped fund uh, his completion of his uh, book, his movie, Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. Also on today's show, uh, the House Haiti Caucus is ca calling for a halt on deportation uh, flights to Haiti, demanding due process for Haitian migrants at the southern border and congressional oversight into the inhumane behavior of Border Patrol. We'll talk with uh, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley right here uh, on Roland Martin Unfiltered. She is co-chair of the House Haiti Caucus. Also joining us is the new CEO of the African American Mayors Association, Phyllis Dickerson. The AAMA was put to offer support for Afghan refugees, but what about 
patience. We'll discuss that with her. Also, we've been talking about Title 42. What exactly is that? And how is it applied to Haitian immigrants? Also tonight, the Metropolitan Police Department of District of Columbia hit with a, discri a discrimination lawsuit by 10 current and former black female officers. We'll talk with attorney Pamela Keith, the assistant chief at the Metropolitan Police Department. Uh, Chanel Dickerson as, uh, will discuss the case as well. Oklahoma sets the execution date of a black man despite the state parole board's recommendation to commute his sentence to life imprisonment without parole. A black law professor gut checked Senator Ted Cruz over racist voter ID in Texas. Wait till we show you that video. Plus, Michigan Black gets little to no attention. Today, we're going to profile a few missing black folks who are getting left out by mainstream media. Folks, it is time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered at the Black Star Network. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. Outrage continues on Capitol Hill over the treatment of Haitian migrants along the Texas border. The Department of Homeland Security, they're allowing some Haitian migrants to stay in the U.S. despite the Biden administration's plan to expel them. It's not clear how long uh, that is going to take place, but there's a concentrated effort to allow families to stay. DHS has placed several Border Patrol officers on administrative leave who use their horse reins as whips on the Haitian migrants. Folks, we got this statement from Simone Sanders, senior advisor and chief spokesman for Vice President Kamala Harris, about the conversation with between Vice President Harris and uh, the head of DHS. Yesterday, Vice President Harris spoke to Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas to receive an update about his trip to Del Rio. During that call, the vice president raised her grave concerns about the mistreatment of Haitian migrants by Border Patrol agents on horses and the need for all of all CBP agents treat people with dignity, humanely, and consistent with our laws and values. Secretary Mayorkas shared the vice president's concern and noted that the, he looks forward to updating her on the investigation by the Office of Professional Responsibility once it concludes. Secretary Mayorkas also spoke with the vice president about the efforts DHS has underway to address the humanitarian needs of people at our border in Del Rio through the provision of food, shelter, clothing, and medical care, as well as engagement with non-governmental and international organizations. The vice president acknowledged the attention and concerns Secretary Mayorkas shared and looks forward to following up with him in the coming days. Now, we've reached out to the White House since Sunday to ask for them to send someone to this show to discuss what's happening with Haitian migrants. They have yet to send someone. Joining us right now, though, is Congresswoman Ayanna Presley from Massachusetts. Uh, uh, she joins us right now. Congresswoman, glad to have you on the show. Uh, CBC members on today uh, held a news conference along with others uh, to talk about this very issue. Uh, what, are, what answers are you getting from DHS and this White House administration with the treatment of these Haitian migrants? Well, first, let me just say, as co-chair of the Haiti Caucus, um, someone who proudly represents the third largest 
uh, concentration of the Haitian diaspora in the country. Uh, we have been for six months now advocating for a halt to these deportations. Uh, once Biden uh, did come into office and um, instructed ICE to halt deportations, they continue to target black immigrants uh, and Haitian immigrants in particular. So this has been a fight for six months. More recently, uh, myself and Representative Nivia Velasquez led a letter um, with dozens of our House colleagues calling for a halt to these deportations. This is a humanitarian crisis, and our response should be one um, that is uh, that is humanitarian, that is humane, and this is not. The cruelty is the point. Um, we have seen uh, some uh, some uh, manifests of children as young as three years old uh, being deported. And we know, uh, given natural disasters, uh, the recent assassination of their president, the ways in which the pandemic has ravaged the region, um, it would just be cruel. The entire region is uh, unstable. Um, they have made it clear that they cannot um, accept anyone back. And so we need a halt to these deportations and a repeal of um, Title 42, um, which uh, has been, was weaponized by Trump, um, and that is uh, deporting uh, in the interest of public health. This should be repealed. Again, this is a humanitarian crisis. We need to affirm uh, due process for legal asylum. Again, asylum is legal. Um, and uh, we need to halt all deportations. I, I am still trying to understand, and this goes back to the, the administration of Jimmy Carter, why are Haitians treated differently than Cubans? And, and no one seems to give me an answer. Well, I think the point here is, is that Haitian lives are black lives. And uh, we continue to get a message uh, throughout the globe that black lives, in fact, do not matter, uh, which is why uh, there has been disparate uh, response and treatment here, which is also why, in my capacity on the Oversight Committee, I um, have reached out uh, seeking oversight and investigations to ensure that those uh, CBP officers are held accountable for their egregious and vile uh, demonstration of white supremacy. Um, CBP has been racist and rogue for a long time. Um, so this is just another uh, demonstration of the systemic uh, inhumanity and cruelty of this agency. The, um, the, the, the union for the Border Patrol officers uh, has come out condemning uh, folks for their criticism uh, of, uh, of these agents. Uh, and I've asked the White House, is it policy? Uh, in terms of for how uh, folks are treated, get to get an answer. Uh, now you have, of course, you got folks on the right wing who are saying, no, these were not whips, they're horse, they're horse reins. Well, if you're swinging horse reins like a whip, damn it, it operates the same way as a whip. I mean, yeah, I mean, the uh, people keep talking about these images. It's important to, you know, remember that these images are real are real people. These are not just images. Um, but they are abhorrent. And um, what we have seen is uh, it's unconscionable. It's cruel. It's inhumane. It's shameful. It's really shameful. And again, you know, uh, when we were in the face of this so-called national reckoning on racial injustice in the country, uh, many espouse that Black Lives Matter. It's moments like this. 
uh, in tragic inflection points like this, where we should be standing up and affirming that that is, in fact, uh, more than a, uh, an expression, but that it is a fact that is codified in our policies. So these deportations must be halted. Um, these uh, rogue and um, CBP officers should be held accountable. They need to be, uh, we need an investigation. Again, CBP has proven itself for a very long time to be racist and rogue. Again, even uh, when deportations uh, were halted um, by the Biden administration, ICE continued to target black immigrants and Haitian immigrants in particular. Um, and so uh, now we see ourselves where we are in this moment uh, when uh, Haiti is dealing with three conflated, very severe crises, which they have yet to recover from and will not for quite some time. Mm -hmm. uh, large swaths of the region have uh, no, no power, um, no clean drinking water. Um, and again, many of those that they are deporting unjustly have not been to Haiti uh, for more than a decade. And the children have never been there. And certainly uh, during a time of such great instability, uncertainty and violence, and a pandemic ravaging the region, this is not the time. This is the United States of America. We have the capacity to do the right thing here and to affirm uh, due process for legal asylum. And the only thing that we're missing in this moment is the political will and courage to do it. Well, uh, we certainly um, uh, want to see uh, more uh, from this administration. Vice President uh, Harris, when she was a senator, was highly critical um, of, this, of the use of this particular policy, which was pushed by white supremacist Stephen Miller uh, under Donald Trump. It continues with the Biden administration. And so have they given you answers as to why they are continuing using it if, when running for president, uh, uh, then Vice President Joe Biden, now President, saying we should be treating people in a more humane way. Then you had a federal judge, uh, Emmett Sullivan, uh, here in D.C., who said they could not use this against families. And it, it was going to go into effect in 14 days, but they're, but they're actually going to even uh, uh, appeal that decision. Well, I've not spoken with the president directly. I have been in ongoing communications uh, with the White House, and I did... Um, have the opportunity to speak to Vice President Harris directly about this uh, when we were together at her residence uh, celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Congressional Black Caucus. And I found her to be uh, sympathetic, um, to agree uh, with our characterizations, um, and I know that—and uh, to be responsive. And as you know, members of the Congressional Black Caucus uh, met earlier today uh, with senior White House officials about this matter. And so we're waiting for their response, both to ensure accountability for uh, the vile and egregious actions by these uh, CBP officers, um, to halt uh, deportations, to affirm a due process for legal asylum, and to treat this like what it is, a humanitarian crisis. We have the capacity. This is the United States of America. Uh, we have chosen to exercise that capacity for everyone else except for black immigrants um, and, uh, and Haitians. Last question for you, uh, and I'm going to ask Phyllis Dickerson coming up next the same question. How, do, how, how does this administration explain to African Americans the making way, supporting financially Afghan refugees, but sending Haitians back? 
has anyone explained the difference between how America is accepting and treating Afghan refugees compared to Haitian, uh, Haitian migrants who are trying to come into the country? Well, I've not heard that rationale um, or a rationale because there isn't one. And the contrast is damning and the disparate treatment is obvious. Um, so again, if we do in fact uh, want to affirm that black lives matter, and that is more than a rallying cry, but a value and a belief with which, with which we practice, Haitian lives are black lives. And it's tragic inflection points like this where we need to stand up. This is a humanitarian crisis. It requires a humanitarian response. And the callous and cruelty um, the Haitians have been met with at the border is certainly not consistent with that. We must halt all deportations immediately and repeal Title 42 and hold accountable um, the rogue officers um, and their uh, vile racist actions. Congresswoman Yellen Presley, Massachusetts. We appreciate it. Always glad to have you on the show. Thank you, Roland. Thanks. Thanks a bunch. Let's go to Phyllis Dickerson, the uh, CEO of the African American Mayors Association. Phyllis, glad to have you here. Uh, we have seen mayors and governors uh, say, welcome with open arms, Afghan refugees. What are black mayors saying about the treatment of these Haitian uh, migrants along the Texas border? Roland, first, let me say thank you for having me on the show this afternoon. Um, one, Yesterday, Mayor Turner, as you know, is your mayor, Mayor Sylvester Turner of Houston, sent a letter to the White House, in fact, to President Biden, addressing his concerns with this. The, the images that we see coming out of the Texas-Mexico border are horrific. It took us all the way back to slavery when you saw the horses, white men on horses, and the whooping of um, the Haitians and rounding them up. And so, um, and so we have, as a group, as an organization, spoken out against this. The letter was sent to President Biden, and it addressed our concerns and the images that we were seeing. And, um, and we're asking for... Looks like uh, Phyllis... There we go. There we go. You froze there. Do we have her back? We, you, do you have me back? Yeah, there we go. You're back. Sorry about that. Um, and so, the, as the Congresswoman stated, this is a humanitarian crisis. And so we have to treat people with the same dignity and respect that we want to be treated. And so we are the United States of America. This is being broadcasted in real time. And we have to show that we are better than the images that we're seeing coming out of the border. So, uh, the, you know, what, what is happening here, again, we, people talk about, uh, and again, no one seems to give me, <laughs> I still can't get an answer, how we're treating Haitians different, differently from Cuban, Cubans uh, as well as from, uh, from uh, Afghan refugees as well. Uh, it makes no sense to me, uh, and so I would appreciate somebody explaining that. So, um, are, there, are there other mayors uh, who, who, who are speaking out, other black mayors, uh, who are saying there needs to be much more coherent policy in terms of how we treat Haitians? Yes, so the letter came from the African-American mayors organization as a whole, which represents large and small cities. So mayors like um, Michael Hancock out of Denver, Mayor Lightfoot out of Chicago, and Mayor Turner got together yesterday and put, um, put the letter together uh, addressing the issues. But 
the, uh, when AMA speaks, when the African American Mayors Organization speaks, they not only speak for their cities, they speak for cities across the country. And, and you're asking for an answer um, that doesn't exist because there is no answer as to the why. Like, why are um, they being treated differently? And the only answer is right in front of our face. Uh, as the Congresswoman said, that black lives should matter, but do they matter to everyone? And, um, and so we have to address the issue that is right in front of us, which is we have to call for action and say, look, this is unacceptable, and we have to be treated fairly, justly, and humans just like any other um, immigrant coming into our country. All right, Phyllis Dickerson, of course, executive CEO of the African American Mayors Association. Sure, appreciate it. Look forward to having you back. Thank you, Roland. All right, then. I want to talk about this with my uh, panel, Robert Patillo. He joins me right now. I'm going to be joined by others as well. Robert, um, look, you, you keep hearing this, different rules, different people. Uh, and it's been the case since President Jimmy Carter, uh, how we treat Haitians compared to how we treat Cubans. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. 
Oh, well, you know, it's interesting. Growing up Haitian-American in this country, you know, my mom grew up in Conscoff in Haiti. Uh, we were there in the 90s there, when you had the quote-unquote boat people uh, that were the menace to America. We tried to figure out, well, why were they not being treated the same way as Elian Gonzalez, being coddled, being taken in by this nation? But then when you look back at the history of America, it is not simply since Jimmy Carter, since the inception of Haiti, that America has had one simple policy, which is to subjugate and keep down the entire nation of Haiti. And the reason for that is, uh, and this was written by Thomas Jefferson, the fear has always been that if, if Haiti succeeds, then black people everywhere will believe they can succeed. Uh, the fear was that the revolution that started in Haiti will spread to the plantations of South, uh, South Carolina and Florida uh, and Georgia and throughout the South, and that they would start revolting and standing up and fighting back the same way that Desi Bookman and Toussaint Louverture and that uh, Dessalines stood up to the French. And this is the fear that America has always had, and they have put this into policy uh, for the last 200 years. People forget that the United States of America occupied the entire island of Haiti from 1919 until the mid-1930s. Uh, even as recently as the Clinton administration, we saw the uh, U.S. occupation from 1994 to 1997 during the reign of Aristide, uh, when George Bush was president. He actually picked up Aristide with uh, U.S. military forces, dropped him off in the Congo, and placed his own government in place right there, uh, not to mention the billions of dollars in uh, earthquake relief that just disappeared um, thanks to the Clinton uh, Foundation and many other non-government organizations after that uh, natural disaster there. It has been the U.S. policy towards Haiti the entire time. This is just what was caught on camera. No one, none of us believe that this is the first time that these rogue cowboys and bounty hunters rode around the uh, rode around the Texas border uh, doing a Walker Texas Ranger impression, uh, beating and whipping people, particularly Haitians and other African migrants who are coming into uh, into the nation. That has simply put the culture and the policy of America, and we have to demand more from the Biden administration because guess what? The largest Haitian population in America is in Florida, and if you would want to lose a swing state for a generation, have both the Cubans and the Haitians in Florida mad you at the exact same time. And, the, and concurrently, we have to flex that muscle to ensure the administration understands that this is the end of this policy. We'll no longer accept disparate treatment to Haitians and other, uh, and other black groups of migrants um, for political purposes. The reason no one can give you an answer because the answer is right in front of your face is because they're black. And until we admit that, until the administration is willing to do something about that, this will continue for the rest of our lives. Um, well, uh, that is uh, certainly the case. And we'll, again, we'll, uh, we're going to keep uh, talking about this here. Uh, and like I said, we've been trying to get the administration uh, to send someone to this show to specifically talk about this. Mm, hasn't happened. And that needs to happen. Uh, and I made it clear I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit them, call them out every single day until they do. Uh, because what uh, is being stated so far is simply insufficient uh, with what is going on. And... There is a process for asylum. The fact that they're sending people back and not even following that process uh, just makes no sense whatsoever. And so uh, this Democratic administration owes black people answers. Uh, they owe uh, folks uh, uh, an explanation to what's going on. Uh, and guess what? You're not going to get let, let off the hook. It's as simple as that. Well well, you know, they're going to be right back in 2022 and 2024, and they're going to have the same old uh, <clears throat> the same old dog and pony show, the most important election of our life. We uh, voting rights are on the ballot, this, then, the other. But it's going to be, be very hard to pull that coalition back together that got Joe Biden elected. That coalition of young voters, first-time voters, African-Americans, Latinos, women, you're not going to have the boogeyman of Trump on the ballot, and therefore you're going to have to put some points on the board. You put points on the board by passing things into the George Floyd Justice and Police 
needs to get passing things like the John Lewis voting rights act and for the people act, but also doing right by uh, by Haitian Americans and understanding that this is the perfect opportunity to show where your administration is different than the Trump regime. Quit trying to prove yourself to uh, moderate Republicans, quote unquote, thinking that's the way forward. They are never going to come back. They are never going to vote for you. They have not not yet admitted that 2020 uh, was even a real year that it was a real election. So because of that, you need to be coming through for the people who support you. That includes Haitian migrants, because in those southern states and those swing states, uh, it's not going to be forgotten images of cowboys on horseback with whips, uh, whips and lassos, corralling black people carrying food uh, in the middle of the desert. That's, those images are going to be seared in in the next election, so there's going to have to be concentrated action. All right, folks, let's go to our next story here in D.C., the Metropolitan, the Metropolitan Police Department. They're being uh, accused of systemic psychological abuse. Ten current and former black female officers filed a lawsuit claiming they were subjected to a male-dominated culture of race and sex discrimination and faced retaliation when they raised concerns about the treatment. Joining me now is Pamela Keith, attorney from uh, D.C., Chanel Dickerson, assistant chief at the Metropolitan Police Department. Uh, glad to have both of you on the show. So uh, first, and, first and foremost, uh, uh, Chanel, um, uh, first of all, I'm sorry, I'm going to Pam first. Uh, Pam, so just walk us through uh the lawsuit when you talk about uh, 10 current and former officers uh how high up do they go in the department well you have one of the highest in mm -hmm. uh assistant chief chanel dickerson she's not just what you know one of the highest ranking african-american women in the uh, Metropolitan Police Department, but also uh, just across the country. Chanel has something like 33 years of service, and as do almost all of our plaintiffs. We have 10 African-American women officers. Only one has less than 15 years, and several have more than 30. And these are uh, officers who are in specialized elite units, some who had retired and were asked to come back because of their expertise. And the story that they tell across the board, Roland, is a story of systemic denigration, of disrespect, abuse of power, um, and an EEO department that absolutely um, disregarded them and actually colluded with management to undermine them and their credibility when they complained. And of course, the, the worst of all is, is the systemic retaliation, this idea that management gets to bully, harass, and haze, and push out employees that complain of gender or race discrimination or, or other police misconduct, which is a very important part of this. Um, and so that doesn't happen without the approval of, of the chief of police and, and his or her delegates, uh, but it is an actual culture of the police that once, you're decide, you know, once they decide that you're persona non grata, they're going to push you out through death by a thousand cuts. And these women have been subjected to that. They've had enough. They've banded together. They've stood up. And they have put it squarely in the consciousness of the people of the District of Columbia and elsewhere that this is no longer going to be tolerated. Uh, Chanel, uh, it is never uh, an easy decision for folks to actually file a lawsuit. Uh, and so uh, share with uh, the folks who are watching and listening uh, what, what you have had to experience uh, in this department and why you are part of this lawsuit. Thank you so much, Roland, for the question. Um, I have been with the police department, as Pam stated, for a total of over 30 years. I started at 17 years old as a police cadet. And at 17, I was subjected to sexual harassment by older men on the police department who wanted to offer 
me money and clothes and items of value for sex. And we all know that no one under the age of 18 can agree to have sex for anything of value. And I asked to be transferred at that moment. And later I resigned and I moved away um, from the area, but I returned back at the police department in 1994 and became a civilian employee. But unfortunately in 1995, the Lieutenant, um, my supervisor started to sexual harass me. And when I complained to his boss, a captain, nothing was done. My lunch period was changed from one hour to 30 minutes while other similarly situated employees kept an hour lunch period. And I had to sign in and out to go to um, to the bathroom. I mean, sign in and out. He created a log for um, me to sign in and out. And my friends and I saw him often outside of my home in Maryland. He had no legitimate business to be outside of my home um, in Maryland, but he was just basically stalking me. I complained about it and absolutely nothing was done. Move on to me being a, a law enforcement officer in 1997. I became a sworn officer with the police department and I was on, um, on the job training at the third district. And once again, I was subjected to harassment. A lieutenant verbally abused me, um, told me the things that he wanted to do to me sexually, commented on my physical attributes, and a community member who witnessed the entire incident was so appalled, they wrote a letter of complaint, and absolutely nothing happened to him. And I later found out that he had a substantiated complaint against him, and they just moved him to another area of the department where he could actually abuse another woman. And then I ascended the rank. I've had, you know, different um, situations at every level, but my current level as an assistant chief, I'm not exempt from it. I'm a black woman. I'm Chanel Dickerson, a black woman who happens to be an assistant chief of police. Um, I'm often, often isolated, um, made to feel invisible, excluded from, from meetings, important meetings. Um, I'm not a diversity checkbox. I am qualified for my job. I have the education for my job. But in a male-dominant profession, you have to fight for it every day. When Pam Keefe reached out to me about the lawsuit, I had to stand behind these women. And people talk to me about the, like, the dire consequences or possible consequences that I could face for stepping up. Like, this is like unheard of. An assistant chief um, standing up for the rank and file, but it's the right thing to do. How can we safely police the community and engage with the community if we don't treat our people internally fairly? It's like the analogy with beating a dog. If I beat a dog and then expect a dog to protect my house, like that's not going to happen. We have some phenomenal people on the police department. So by no means am I suggesting that everyone at the police department is a part of this, but it's so culturally embedded and ingrained in the department. We have to say no more today, no more. Um, uh, Pam, when 
What did the city do? I mean, obviously, it, what Chanel described, uh, she didn't just keep it to herself. Uh, was there anything from um, city council members, mayor, or others? Um, were folks alerted? Uh, folks were alerted. Um, I think they perhaps underestimated the strength of our case. Not only do we have 10 extraordinary, phenomenal class representative plaintiffs, but we also have sworn affidavits from the employees within the EEO department of the MPD that have made clear that the EEO director thinks his job is to collude with management to discredit complainants. Uh, and that is shocking to have, not just one person, but three people who corroborate that the EEO department is dysfunctional. Uh, and I don't think they anticipated that either. What we've gotten so far is sort of the placeholder response. You know, we, we believe in equality and inclusion, and we're going to take this seriously and take a look at it, which I expect. I mean, again, I think they were a little bit surprised at the scope and the depth of this complaint. It's 213 pages of chapter, verse, and footnotes of what these women have been put through. Because we decided we weren't going to be vague and we were going to name names and put in dates and specific, specific incidents so they cannot claim that, you know, this is a unique circumstance. All of these women at different stages of their career, different parts of the department are telling the same story of retaliation, discrimination, and being ignored and devalued. Um, but I do wonder, Roland, about what the city's response is going to be. I mean, you have 10 black women with a total of more than 285 years of service to the District of Columbia. And almost all of them have more than 15 or 20 years of service. So are they going to say all of these 10 women are lying? Yeah, I guess they could, but um, not sure that would work. They could also say, well, no, they're not lying, but what's happening to them is not a big deal. That, you know, being treated this way is perfectly acceptable. Not sure that's going to be a winning strategy either. Or they could say, well, yes, it's bad and it's happening to them, but we don't want to do anything to stop it or change it. Also an option. Um, but I just find that we did our due diligence and we did the work to show that this is not just happening to these 10 women, that this is happening to black women across the board, um, and that it is a confluence of disrespect of them because they're women in a male-dominated field and disrespect of them because they are black women in particular. Um, and we are, I mean, this news broke today, Roland. Our office has been bombarded with calls of people who are seeking representation because they've been treated this way in the MPD um, as well. So, you know, we feel our case is very, very strong. Um, and we hope that this is actually an opportunity for a mayor like Muriel Bowser and for the city council of DC to be the transformative leaders that they claim to be. Chanel, final comment um, from you. Um, since you decided to go public with this and announce this lawsuit, um, have you been shunned? Uh, have you heard from other women in the department who said, uh, thank you for doing this? Uh, has there been any response directly to you? Yes, it has been. Um, people are calling both of my phones. I have two cell phones. Officers are calling. They're very emotional and crying. This case is bringing up a lot of bad memories. Um, I have to admit, I suppressed mine. And, and this case actually brought up emotions 
for me. People want to know how they can get um, to be a part of this lawsuit. People want to know that they have, um, we have their support. Um, it's an overwhelming amount of support. I'm getting it from clergy members, ANC commissioners, community members, men on the department, regardless of their race, are reaching out saying, hey, that was a power move, and I can't believe that you are risking so much to stand up for the rank and file, and we really appreciate you. It, it, it really resonate. the words resonate with, within my spirit, because I knew that it was the right thing to do. At the end of the day, even I, if I stand up and I'm standing alone, but you're standing for what's right, how am I going to look myself in the mirror and sleep at night if I know that there's nine other members? See, I, I can accept things happening to me, right, and not do anything about it. But how do you allow this to happen to nine other women on the police department? And for three years, I was the highest-ranking sworn female member on the department. And people look up to me. I felt like a fraud, so I had to step up. And I'm not worried about it. I haven't been shunned. I do not expect to be shunned. Um, we really have a phenomenal police department, but we need to do better with this. So this is our opportunity to rally together. I would like the police department to acknowledge um, that we have gone through this, and let's work together to fix it and ensure that this never happens again. We can have a zero-tolerance uh, zero policy for discrimination, but we don't have a zero-tolerance policy for retaliation. I would like to see that. Thank you. Assistant Chief uh, Chanel Dickerson, Attorney Pam Keith, we surely appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank, Thank you, you for having us. All right, I want to bring my panel, Tiffany Lofton, uh, of course, uh, uh, activist and also uh, still with us, Robert Patillo. Tiffany, um, listening to that, uh, it, uh, it, it's, it speaks clearly in terms of what women have to face uh, in many of these male-dominated places, such as police departments and fire departments. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Tiffany? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, repeat the question, Robert. I'm sorry. I didn't hear you. I said, uh, I said uh, what uh, you just heard described there shows us what women have to face uh, in male-dominated uh, professions such as police departments and fire departments. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I don't have too much to add. I'm still processing the stories that the ladies have shared and the fact that uh, there's not few uh, places where they can share their stories and be heard, you know, after the Me Too movement. And after hearing a lot about what women have to go through and what I've had to go through and experience, there aren't a lot of safe spaces where women are, are able to have fair processes that trust them. Um, so this is important for us to have this conversation, especially in the black community. And um, uh, we know that the injustices that exist are both policy fixed and also cultural. So I'm, I'm glad that you were able to at least have this on the show. The uh, the thing here is uh, certainly disturbing, Robert, when you listen to what's described there and, and also what, what stands out is how uh, this department is going to respond when you also have a, fe a black female mayor of Washington, D.C. Uh, absolutely, Ron. I think the fact that you hear these stories and see what went on last summer in the Freedom Summer of 2020 uh, kind of pushes even further the need that we have to have for systemic police reform. Even when we look at the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, it doesn't go far enough when it comes to instituting the types of reforms that are needed in policing departments across the country, not just to deal with the community and racial reconciliation issues, but to deal with their own uh, issues and uh, HR, human resources, and how they treat other officers, particularly women, uh, as was articulated earlier. My sister, uh, my eldest sister, was a police officer in Charlotte, Mecklenburg for 20 years. Uh, these stories are across the board and across the nation, not a department-by-department department issue. And the same way we had to attack the culture of sexual assault and sexual harassment in the military uh, in, in previous years, I think we need to do the same sort of thing on the federal level of police departments uh, around the nation to ensure that people are allowed to simply work and do their jobs regardless of their sex uh, uh, or gender. Uh, well, we have not uh, gotten a comment from the Washington, D.C. Police Department or the city of D.C., well, from District of Columbia, the District of Columbia, but we certainly uh, want to hear uh, their side of the story. All right, folks, uh, this story coming out of Capitol Hill at the month of negotiations between Democrats and Republicans for police reform measures, there will be no deal. New Jersey Senator Cory Booker, a Democrat, told reporters he had a conversation with Republican negotiator Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina indicating the talks were over. After Minneapolis, a jury found a white police officer guilty of George Floyd's murder. Lawmakers in both parties expressed optimism they could broker a deal. They said they believed the verdict would provide new momentum to reach a compromise. It didn't. 
big sticking point that the police departments, the unions, and sheriffs did not want to see an end to qualified immunity. Uh, Tiffany, there was a point here where uh, Republicans were saying that they could bring uh, Tim Scott, Lindsey Graham, they could bring 20 to 25 Republicans on their side. Mm, isn't it amazing how these things keep ending the same way? Nothing. And then you have Senators Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin, who, if they would be against the filibuster, this bill could actually pass. It absolutely could. We know that for a fact. Uh, so this is, this is really about the filibuster and about delaying the process for voting rights and a series of other things. Um, listen, politics is a game, and the constant excuse that we need to work bipartisan for, uh, that we need to work across the aisle for an issue that is clearly bipartisan, when we're talking about democracy and we're talking about voting rights, to, to young people, it, it, it leaves a sour taste in their mouth. The parties don't think forward in advance. Uh, young people are going to be some of the biggest turnout for 2022 in the midterm elections. And then as we gear for the 2024 presidential elections, they are going to remember exactly who did what and who used the excuses to filibuster to not push these issues forward. Uh, their jobs are on the line, and more importantly, their parties are on the line. Uh, and so when we think about, like, how people are saying and playing this game, it's been all year after the pandemic where folks have not uh, pushed these issues forward, blaming each other, pointing the fingers, trying to say that they need to get their friends on their side, and then also talking about the filibuster. Um, and I, I just want people to, like, have a bigger context for what this means in the long run for elections. People are going to suffer, um, and communities are going to suffer, but more importantly, our politics needs to bend down to the democracy of young people who are going to hold their feet to the fire if they don't do what they're supposed to do for our communities. Robert. You know, I think the Democratic Party sometimes has to be stuck on stupid. Uh, it's as if they do not want to win, that they have no interest in actually uh, doing anything for their voting base uh, that would actually encourage them or give them any reason to continue supporting them. They're like the Falcons, basically. They, they go out there every Sunday, you root for them, you, you think they're going to do their best, and they just keep losing. And they'll find a new way to lose, no matter how they lose the last time they lost. And what Democrats are, have to understand is, look, without African Americans, without young people, without progressives, you cannot win. So when you allow someone like Joe Manchin and Christian Cinema to basically tank police reform, when you have protests in 20 cities around the country, when you have international support of every part of the globe, from New Zealand to China to uh, Iran, were protesting for George Floyd, you cannot get a bill passed after that. This shows you how broken the system is. I don't blame Republicans because Republicans are going to do what Republicans are going to do, but when you look at the fact that even if they did get rid of the filibuster, they did not have 50 votes within their own caucus to pass the bill. You were not you were not going to get Manchin. You were not going to get Cinema. Uh, from my sources, there probably were at least five other Democratic senators that would not have supported the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act because they are so well supported by the police unions and the order police. And this just shows the uh, corruption in our political system. And this is why so many people check out of politics, because if you do all the things they tell you to do, you give them the House, House of Representatives, you give them majority in the Senate, you give them the White House, you, uh, you knock on doors, you register to vote, you do all those things and you get absolutely nothing out of it. Meanwhile, as soon as the uh, Republicans get elected, they have a $1.5 trillion tax cut and they're building the wall, and somehow government just works different for them. So unless Democrats are going to get on their horse and start passing some bills, 2020 is going to be a tough year for them. But here's the deal, though. What do, we say Democrats, what do they do? A U.S. senator can do whatever decision that they make. It passed the House. Democrats in the House did their job. Okay, what now? I mean, it's, it's really two people uh, who are really holding it up. 
Look, let's, let's understand something. President Trump came into office with Lindsey Graham comparing him to death, and, and uh, many Republicans not wanting to touch him for a 10-foot pole. He whipped that entire Senate Republican caucus into shape to the point that they will vote for whatever it was that he uh, he said, including decertifying the election uh, and claiming that uh, 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 the entire thing was rigged. No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. Robert, 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 Robert. Mitch McConnell was not leading a 50-50 Senate. He was leading a 52-48 Senate. So they, 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 they did not have the same dynamics as the Democrats did. But my, my point is that we need to see a more active and involved president on these issues. Stop outsourcing the black issues to Kamala. Stop outsourcing black issues to Simone Sanders. Uh, it seems like, the, uh, you know, we all love Simone, but it seems like the only time they have her put out a statement is when they do something stupid to black people. So I need to see a president who is actively out there standing up and fighting for these issues, letting Joe Manchin and Christian Sinema and anybody else know that I have some LBJ in my system when it comes to running the Senate rules. I, I know how to use the levers of power. I was in the Senate, or I was in Washington for 50 years. That was the entire point of you running, by saying that you could at least get your own caucus in order. And I don't think black voters are willing to sit down and say, well, look, I know you didn't pass voting rights. I know you didn't uh, pass uh, police reform. I know you had a whole bunch of Border Patrol agents whipping uh, black people down at the border. I know you dropped that bomb and killed all those Afghani civilians. Oh, and also, uh, I know the economy's not going the way that we thought it was going to do, and you've actually passed none of the legislation that you said you were going to pass for us. So I'm going to get out here and knock on doors in 100-degree weather in Atlanta to make sure you get reelected. That's just not the way that things work, and they know that's not the way that things work, and they're going to get up off their uh, off their butts and do something about it. Otherwise, they're going to find themselves in a very a poor position going into 2022. Uh, and it is going to be a problem, Tiffany. It is going to be a problem going to voters to go, what the hell did you get passed? Oh, listen, I, what Robert just said is I said what I said five minutes ago. He just said it in a way better way than I did and ripped off all the examples, including also what did you do when the Texas ban happened and the Supreme Court didn't do anything? And also what did you do when you were trying to cancel student loan debt that you told us you was going to work on, but you only did it for some people and not everybody else? Um, uh, as an organizer who has been doing for the last 10 years that door knocking that Robert just got finished talking about, uh, it is entirely difficult for me to go and talk to regular folks and knock on their doors and say, hey, we need you to vote. And the question that I always get is, what are elections going to do for me? And when we think about the daily impact that it has on people and their cost benefit to going to go cast their ballot and cast their vote, it becomes harder for leaders of organizations. It becomes harder for people who are invested in the party. It becomes harder for organizers who want to see an improvement in their community to convince people to do something for somebody who, who, who did nothing for them. Uh, and, and every day that he waits, and I'm talking about Joe Biden, every day that he waits, every day he takes inaction as another strike against him and the entire party. Uh, and so that's why I mentioned, talked about 2022 for not only the party, but for 2024. And listen, I think that, um, that I said this a long time ago, and I've been saying it for a long time. I didn't want a punk president. I wanted a president who was going to take action, who was going to support the communities that they were going to support, who were going to support the communities that got him into his job in the first place. Uh, Joe Biden has not done that since I've seen him be in office. Um, and I, I think that the party does itself a disservice when they can't hold the president accountable to do the things that they promised they were going to do. Um, I was talking to my friend the other day about strategizing what we're going to uh, have to do to move some of these campaigns that we're working on literally right now, working on uh, uh, getting aid to the border in Haiti. And, uh, you know, when we talk about Republicans, they don't really care if people are yelling and screaming. They care about money and they care about their jobs, whether or not you're going to elect them again. Democrats, 
you can protest them all day and they'll feel bad, but they, I, I still don't know what moves them, what moves the actual power for us to win what we want to win. Uh, and it's an embarrassing party for us to be a part of. So I think, you know, I agree with what Robert just said uh, prior to me speaking. Uh, and young people, like I said, are paying attention. And when the elections happen again, you're not going to be able to use me <laughs> to come out and use on behalf of the party and speak on your panel to talk about why young people need to vote in the election. I'm going to tell us why we need to vote, but I'm not going to tell them why they need to vote for y'all. We're going to start doing independent stuff. We've been doing independent stuff. There are some incredible young, specifically people of color, and specifically young women of color who are running for office, who don't affiliate or associate with none of these parties. And I hope they will be all telling the election. I'm just going to say that. Uh, all right, folks, uh, I got to show y'all this here. There was a hearing today on Capitol Hill talking about voter ID and the usual being an asshole, Senator Ted Cruz. Uh, he thought that uh, he could somehow check a sister and some others. Mm, you want that smoke? Here you go, Ted. Chairman, uh, I want to start with a question for each of the five witnesses. Uh, in your judgment, are voter ID laws racist? Professor Tolson. Thank you for that question. Um, so it depends. One thing we have to stop doing is treating all voter ID laws as the same. Okay, so your answer, I, I, I want to move quickly, so it depends is your answer? Yes, it does. that's my answer. Okay, so what voter ID laws are racist? Apologies, Mr. Cruz, your state of Texas, perhaps? Okay, so you think the entire state of Texas is racist. What about requiring an ID to vote is racist? Um, so I think, sir, that's a pretty reductive. I'm not saying the entire state of Texas is racist. You just but said my state of Texas, so you tell me your voter what about I the Texas voter oh, ID laws is racist. So the fact that the voter ID law was put into place to diminish the political power of Latinos uh, with racist intent and it had been found to if have racist You're asserting racist that. Intent, what's your evidence for that? Uh, the, the federal district court that first resolve the constitutionality of Texas's voter ID law. Okay, so your view is voter ID laws are racist. How about you, Mr. Yang? I agree with Professor Tulsa. Voter ID laws can be racist. Okay, that's that's two. Mr. Sides? There are some voter ID laws that are racially discriminatory in intent. How about in, in practice? In intent, I, fine, you, you say there's some racist with, with a malevolent yeah. intent lurking in the back of their mind. But let's just talk about it as a practical matter. When I go to vote, they ask me for my ID. I pull out my ID, I show it to them, I vote. Is that racist? If the law that requires you to do that was motivated by racially discriminatory intent under our Constitution. Set aside intent. I'm asking about the effect. Yes, in effect, okay. I think that Ms. there are Reardon. discriminatory effects from a number of voter ID laws. Okay, thank I'm you, Ms. Reardon. The, I'm going to give the witness a chance to answer the question. Go ahead, Mr. Sines. Yes, in effects, I think many voter ID laws are discriminatory and in design. They are designed to have that effect. Okay, Ms. Reardon. No, sir. Mr. Van uh, Spakovsky. Uh, no, particularly because every single state that has passed an ID law has put in a provision to provide a free ID to anyone who doesn't have one. The turnout numbers show it has no effect, and I would remind everyone that the current version of the Texas voter ID law for in-person voting the Obama administration agreed in court, in a court filing, that they were satisfied with it and that it was not discriminatory. You know, I have to say that the wildly partisan nature of the Democrats' proposal. The record should reflect all three of the Democratic witnesses invited by the chairman maintained to this committee that voter ID laws can be, in many instances, in most instances, I think of the various ways they formulated, are racist. So let me tell you who disagrees with that. 35 states across the country disagree with that because 35 states have voter ID laws in effect. But not just 35 states. 
81% of voters in America disagree. I'm tired of his lying ass. Uh, bottom line is this here. We're dealing with a true idiot in Ted Cruz there, uh, Robert, uh, and it is what it is. Oh, let, let's understand. It's the argument the Republicans have been having about voter ID. Uh, it was made for absolutely one reason, which is that at the, you can look at the maps. Right about the same time the Republicans stopped winning the popular vote is when they started pushing these voter ID laws in the mid-90s. After the Reagan Revolution, after George W. Bush, they saw the demographics of the country were changing, and therefore we started seeing the first out, uh, rollout of voter ID laws in the mid-90s. 1997, Georgia got its first voter ID law. And even at that time, you could, pay, you could use your light bill, your water bill, any public utility, those sorts of things, as identification, to say who you are and where you are. Uh, when that was not strong enough to get them in power, that's when they rolled out the 2005 voter ID. And this is what we saw sweep across the nation then, which were the more stringent uh, voter IDs, many of which were struck down as being poll taxes, uh, such as the Georgia law, which was struck down in 2006. And now we are in our third wave of voter ID laws. The entire idea, as Reverend Jetson like to say, is about skimming. It's not about making sure that every single person can't vote. It's about ensuring that one out of every 100 people does not have the right to vote. One percent. That's all it really takes to win an election. Uh, Donald Trump lost the state of Georgia by 12 or by 11,800 votes, mm -hmm. 80 votes per county. So the fact that all it takes is to make one, uh, one out of every 100 people inconvenience or putting a barrier in place to stop them from voting, that's all that they need to do in order to win elections. That's why Republicans in the Senate represent 41 million fewer people than the Democrats. That's why Republicans have not won the popular vote in the last 17 years. That is why in the House of Representatives, Republicans will represent about uh, 50 million fewer people than Democrats because they no longer need to win the uh, the majority of the votes. They simply want to mess with the rules, play around with the referees, and win on a technicality as often as possible. And that's what voter ID is about. And we see, we know exactly what these frauds are all about, uh, Tiffany. Uh, and yeah, they are racist. We know what the intent is, Ted. Yeah, we know what the intent is. We know what the impacts of it are, and we know how it's uh, shifted the election results over the last couple of years. But I, what's interesting about the clip you just played, um, Uncle Roland, is that, like, we are watching Ted Cruz fight on whether or not he is being called racist, whether or not the state of Texas is being called racist. And what I think that does for the other audience is that it, it moves them to decipher whether or not they believe he is being racist or he's not being racist to help his election in the future. This is about the impacts of voter ID laws being racist, this is not about whether or not Texas or he is racist. And that game he just played, where he tried to serve everybody and say, well, do you think it's racist? Do you think it's racist? Do you think it's racist? Uh, I, I think is a, is, a, is a strategy that he's using to distract people from the impacts of what voter IDs do, how it has disenfranchised communities of color, and how it has helped the party, and, 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 and also how there's actually no need. <laughs> there's no need for voter ID laws, period. There's no need for them. Everybody should be naturalized to vote. You shouldn't have to re-register. Texas during the pandemic made it very difficult until the end of the last two weeks of election season, made it very difficult for anybody to register to vote online during the pandemic, yep. during the pandemic. Nobody was able to register to vote online during the pandemic. Very few states quickly turned around and said we could get people to register to vote. And so the, the nature of that conversation, that discussion he just had yep. totally uh, distracted everybody from what the actual problem is and why voter ID problem, why voter ID laws are a problem. And instead, let's talk about racism because I'm a white man and y'all keep calling me racist and y'all not going to win that fight. And I'm sick of him. I'm sick of him doing it. Absolutely. Folks, I uh, got to go to break. When we come back, uh, we'll celebrate the life and legacy of the great indie director, 
Melvin Van Peebles. He passed away today at the age of 89. We'll talk with uh, director, producer Rob Hardy, cinematographer Ernest Dickerson. We'll hear from Reggie Hutland and others, including Will Packer, uh, as they share their thoughts about how Melvin Van Peebles changed the game for Black Hollywood and the whole generation of African-American directors. That is next on Roland Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. I believe that people our age have lost the ability to focus the, the discipline on the art of organizing. The challenges, there's so many of them and they're complex and we need to be moving to address them. But I'm able to say, watch out, Tiffany. I know this road. That is so freaking dope. <laughs> <laughs> to be smart. Roland Martin's doing this every day. Oh, no punches! Thank you, Roland Martin, for always giving voice to the issues. Look for Roland Martin in the whirlwind, to quote Marcus Garvey again. The video looks phenomenal, so I'm really excited to see it on my big screen. Support this man, Black Media. He makes sure that our stories are told. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. I got to defer to the brilliance of Dr. Carr and to the brilliance of the Black Star Network. I am rolling with rolling all the way. Honored to be on a show that you own, a black man owns the show. Folks, Black Star Network is here. I'm real um, revolutionary right now. Rolling was amazing on that. Stay black. I love y'all. I can't commend you enough about this platform that you've created for us to be able to share who we are, what we're doing in the world, and the impact that we're having. Let's be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You can't be Black-owned media and be scared. You dig? Yo, what's up? This your boy Ice Cube. What's up? I'm Lance Gross, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. He can be called a renaissance man. He produced uh, an independent film, had no real uh, history when it came to cinema, but he let Hollywood know he could do it. It went on a gross uh, in excess of $15 million. Uh, Hollywood was shocked and stunned at that. Unfortunately, a Sweet Sweetback's badass song ushered in the black exploitation era. He was highly critical of that because he uh, it stripped, uh, of course, black movies of what he was focused on, which was political power with that particular movie. Uh, Melvin Van Peebles, folks, today passed away at his home in Manhattan at the age of 89. Uh, he was more than just uh, a director. Uh, he was an author. He was a composer, broke Broadway plays, served time as a stockbroker uh, at, at one point. Uh, and he's done all kinds of stuff. Um, and in fact, folks, that movie uh, that he did, Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, uh, he needed to, to finish the movie. And he went to a bunch of people. No one would give him money. One of the folks who did was Bill Cosby, who gave him $50,000 to finish the film. Uh, Van Peebles said that Bill Cosby did not want equity in the movie. All he wanted was his money back. Well, he got his money back because how much that movie made. Uh, we reached out to uh, Bill Cosby. We got this exclusive statement through his uh, rep, uh, Andrew Wyatt. This is what Bill Cosby had to say about the death of Mario Van Peebles. Melvin's work as a composer writer and performer need to be studied. He was very prolific and at times prophetic. The two original 33 and the third albums, Brer Soul and Ain't Supposed to Die Natural Death are amazing. Written, composed and performed by the great Melvin Van Peebles. In his time, Melvin did not have the luxury of producers and directors of today. Thank you, Melvin. One of those folks uh, who is a director and a producer is Rob Hardy. He joins us right now uh, just to share his thoughts and reflections on uh, the life and legacy of Melvin Van Peebles. Uh, Rob, what immediately comes to mind um, as, as we uh, pay tribute and pay our respects to the passing uh, of this great man? You know, I think of him as just an innovator, you know, um, 
a lot of people refer to him as the father of modern day black cinema. And, you know, he was the person that unapologetically was him. He was political, he was creative, and he was also an indie filmmaker that went out and made films his way by any means necessary. And, you know, that ushered in the, that era of the black exploitation films, but not even so much from the exploitation side, but just from the fact of making films by us and for us and starring us. And so many of the filmmakers that inspired, you know, me and my generation of filmmakers were birthed from him. So he's got his fingerprints on everything that we do and the way that the industry is today because of his fearlessness and because he put his career and his personal safety on the line to speak for us and to give a voice to the voiceless um, and to represent for his people. And, and we'll forever be indebted to him because of that. You talked about fearlessness. He shot the movie in 20 days in Watts, uh, did not pay scale, couldn't afford to pay it. Uh, and the way he got around it was a telling the unions that he was shooting a porno film that they didn't that, that they wouldn't actually care about <laughs> that's right that's right you know um sometimes it, it's by any means necessary and i think that that was became the template for people like the spike lees and robert townsend's and hudlin brothers and the late great john singleton's of the world to continue and fight that path even when you look at the way that uh spike went and raised money for to finish malcolm x you know, all those were like, you know, pages taken from the Melvin Van People's handbook. Well, that's the thing that, and, and in fact, uh, you know, a lot of people criticize uh, Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song uh, because of the sex was involved. He couldn't get any actor to play the lead role, so what the hell, he did it himself. Uh, and uh, I, I think that there are some, so there, there are some similarities to his film and you and Will Packer, your first film, uh, Twa, uh, long time ago. Uh, but, but the way y'all did that, independent, he put this movie in movie theaters, uh, in places like Detroit and Chicago, where black audiences were. Y'all did the same thing uh, with your first film. You're absolutely right. Listen, you know, uh, looking at what he did with that movie and the fact that people came out and responded to it inspired Will and I to do the exact same thing. So for us, it was, you know, markets from Jacksonville, Florida to Chicago and, of course, our home city of Atlanta, Georgia. And being able to take a film, you know, uh, for us, you know, into theaters and market to our, to our people was a huge, huge deal for us. And that launched our careers. And, it, and at that time, it was a big resurgence of independent black cinema that was happening all over the country. And you felt that, you know, that energy in the air. And as we were starting, we were going to the movies and we were watching all of our heroes from Mario Van Peoples on down doing all these amazing films and that inspired us and we heard about Robert Townsend using his credit cards but that all started with him and you know he did that throughout his whole life and every time that he went someplace new whether as you mentioned it was you know in theater and he was writing and composing he was always an innovator and he was always pushing the line and representing for his people and we we never forgot that uh, you spoke of that. Uh, uh, Will uh, is got a whole bunch of zooms today. Uh, this is the video that he sent us because uh, he wanted to be sure that uh, he shared his thoughts with regards to uh, the passing of Melvin Van Peebles. Uh, let's see here. Not sure uh, what's going on with the audio. Um, audio audio's up, folks. Um, 
Okay. All right. So we'll we'll get this uh, get, we'll get this fixed uh, so we can so we can have that. Um, the, the other thing that I think um, here how much he was self taught. He did not allow the lack of knowing something stop him from living his vision. You're absolutely right. I think his perspective was is that I'm a creative person. And, you know, I have a soul and I have something to say. And I'm going to put those things together along with my will to make it happen. And listen, you know, you know, to make it personal, Will and I didn't get the opportunity to go to film school. And there were so many other filmmakers that started that did not get this opportunity. Again, that took a page from his lead to be able to go out and to have a creative perspective on a story that we wanted to tell. And we love the fact that, you know, you know, he didn't have everything because he had to use the tools that he had, which made it that much more creative and was that much more of, a, of an inspiration to us. Absolutely. Uh, Rob Hardy, we surely appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot for joining us and just sharing your thoughts uh, about uh, the great uh, Melvin Van Peebles. Thanks for having me. Uh, folks, the National Visionary Leadership Project was an effort uh, of Camille Cosby to do document uh, and do various interviews with prominent uh, African Americans. One of those folks was Melvin Van Peebles. Uh, this is what uh, he said about that movie. Successful. It was very successful. Yeah, I had a three-picture contract from Columbia after that, um, which was the the dream of anybody. So, I did what everybody else. Any other militant snake would do. Hmm? What happens? Um, the director usually decides who, what equipment he wants to work with, what people he wants to work with, and so once you have this, and the word gets out immediately. Every laboratory where they develop film, every rental house where they rent the cameras and all these things, I want to get on the good side of the director. So when they make their next feature, uh, they will use him. Why? So in other words, the, it's of cachet. So I decided then I was going to do Sweetback. Now, now there are a few things in my way. Um, First, I wanted to lose the agent, so I showed him the most salacious version, etc. I can't represent anything like this. Punk, so he left. Dang, that saved me 10% right there. Hmm? Then the next thing, the unions were all white, and I said, they don't know me, I don't know them, except I needed competent people. But the only people who were competent knew anything of a really cinematically competent and so forth outside the union were porno houses. The people did porno films. So I used I sat through so many porno films, I used to get seasick, you know, like mm -hmm. but every time a film came up it was in focus. At the credits at the end it was the same guy. So I wouldn't find this guy. And it turns out he was a terrific guy. And he was, he was it was a family affair. His wife did the makeup. His 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 daughter was her assistant. The daughter's boyfriend was the second cameraman and so forth. And then I went to the lab and said, "Look, you know, I got this little girl. I saw like a 
Yeah, I wasn't doing any films and that. So, well, come on. So, well, how much of it? Don't, don't worry about it. You'll, you'll get the bill. So, everybody assume I'm going to make a little. I'm going to spend a weekend in a motel with four dildos or something, and they got a movie. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Nobody asked me the question, how much is it going to cost? It is this. So, I, that's how I did the movie. Then I tried the movie around, since the unions were very tough for me physically and so forth. I said, well, they're bad, but they ain't going to come down to the hood and get me. So I shot the, the other stuff and then shot the hood part secondly, where they wouldn't dare to come to start trouble. And then the third part, I went out in the desert where nobody could find me. <laughs> the, those of us uh, who understand what it means to be uh, independent, uh, who understand what it means uh, to hustle, to get it done, uh, look, uh, great appreciation for a Melvin Van Peebles. Uh, and you know what? If you're black and you're in media, you before before the big studios called you and the Netflixes of the world. Guess what? Uh, you were hustling, doing exactly what Melvin Van Peebles did. My next guest, uh, same thing. Him and his brother uh, Warrington Hutland did the same thing. Everybody was trying to do their thing, uh, hustle, trying to make it happen. Joining us now is, of course, uh, director, producer, comic book, sci-fi aficionado Reggie Hutland. What's up, my man? Reggie, you got us? Yes, I, I hear you. Got it. Um, just, just, just share for folks uh, who, uh, who, um, who never met Melvin Van Peebles, just uh, what he was like. Melvin, um, he was that perfect combination of super smart, but he was fun, he was clever, he had great turn of phrases, um, and he was always uh, such an innovator. Um, and you, you know, you look at his body of work, he founded black cinema as we know it. He founded black theater. He was on Wall Street before black people were on Wall Street. I wrote, I read his novel, uh, you know, he launched Earth, Wind, and Fire. Uh, you know, he was a guy who just said, oh, I can do that, and just did it. Uh, he was a big inspiration for me, because that's what I try to do. I've done movies and television and comic books, and uh, I try to emulate his freedom of expression in every medium. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER.
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. And, and that's the thing that I think, uh, when I think about Melvin Van Peebles, when I think about uh, Gordon Parks, um, these are people who said, you know what, I want to do that. So, I mean, uh, Gordon Parks, he, he was, of course, shooting photos, and you know what, I think I'm going to paint. You know what, I think I'm going to compose a Broadway play. You know what, I think I'm going to do that. I mean, that, 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 that curiosity and not giving a damn about the rules. Right. It's, as people, forget artists, just as human beings, right? We, when we're kids, we do everything, right? We play piano, then we'll play baseball, and then we'll do our math homework. And as we get older, we figure out what we're good at. And that's kind of all we do. And we get better and better at what we're good at, but we get scared of trying new things. We get scared of embarrassing ourselves and failing at things. And these guys were so courageous that they just never had that fear of failure. They were like, well, I'm just going to try it. I'm just going to do it. What's the worst that could happen? And that's a lesson for everyone uh, to emulate, to have courage in our everyday lives, to be try new things and don't worry about being bad. Just do it. And, and, and also um, uh, being very deliberate with what it is that you want to say. Uh, he chose with this movie, with, with his art, he made it clear he was going to speak about an issue. He dealt with police brutality in that movie. He dealt with uh, black folks being in control. We talk about self-determination. That's what it was about. So it wasn't just a movie. It was about, no, 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 I'm saying something with this movie. And in fact, uh, Huey Newton of the Black Panthers uh, told everyone, go watch this film. The Black Panthers fully endorsed you watching this film. Absolutely. Well, it's interesting. Um, now, here's the amazing uh, coincidence. Uh, this French documentary company contacted me uh, through Tanya Hart, you, you know Tanya, uh, uh, the journalist, and yep. they were interviewing me yesterday about the career of Melvin Van Peebles and about 
the making of Sweet Sweetback. And uh, they asked me to read some passages from his diary, from his autobiography. And he was talking about the making of Watermelon Man and how, you know, he never wanted to be in a situation where people were controlling him and how he had agreed to shoot two endings for the studio, but then he just shot the ending he wanted. He said, that's it. Look, we, this is the ending. We're not doing two things. And, you know, he was willing to pay the cost to be the boss. And he had clarity of purpose, clarity of statement, and he did it his way, and he was a success to the very end. Uh, absolutely. Reggie Hutland. Uh, it is uh, always great to see you sharing your thoughts about Melvin Van Peebles and hopefully uh, a whole new generation who does not know anything about him will learn about his story and realize, mm, I could do that too. Yes, yes. Appreciate it, my brother. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Rob Fertillo, Tiffany Lofton. Uh, the thing, uh, one of the reasons why I, I just think it's always great uh, when, we, when we talk about these elders who now are transitioning to be ancestors. Uh, I, I'm just, I'm a firm believer in taking the time, uh, taking the time uh, to listen to them and learn. You know, and there are a lot of people who might come into contact uh, with our elders and they just sort of just quickly brush by. And I'm always saying, no, 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 no. They're not gonna be here forever. Take that moment to stop and listen. You're absolutely right, Roland. And we think about the wisdom that can be passed down, the information that people uh, gain with a conversation, understanding. I, I think people, we, we have these moments when it's, say, celebrity or someone famous who dies. But think about it, your own family, uh, that uh, elder in your family, that grandmother, that aunt, that person who uh, has generations and decades of knowledge they can pass on to you. Take the time to sit down, talk to them. Uh, ground with them, listen to stories, learn from them, and figure out how you can apply that, not just to your life, but to the life of your children going forward, because the same battles they fought before uh, are the same battles you'll be fighting today. Uh, there's, those, there's an old saying that the uh, uh, that listening is the cheapest lesson. And I think people can, uh, need to understand, if you look at what they've done before, if you look at Hollywood right now, uh, where you have an Emmys uh, uh, where no African Americans are winning, we still have fights now. If you look at the lesson that, uh, that was laid out previously, then you know exactly what you need to do going forward and the importance of independence and controlling your own narrative, controlling your own art, controlling your own creation uh, cannot be emphasized enough. Tiffany, how important is it? Uh, and, you know, you had the opportunity to sit with Dr. Janetta Cole uh, in that interview we did. Uh, if I didn't stop y'all, y'all would still be talking right now. And that was in February. You didn't uh, stop us because I text her and we go back and forth all the time. But go ahead. Yeah, but we, we, we stopped them cameras from going. Uh, but 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 it's it, it to me again. There are a lot of people who man. I mean, I got. It, I'm gonna figure it out. I'm like, no, 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 no. Learn from the cats who already been there. You know, um, every major action that I've been a part of, we have invited our elders to join us. And I have never been told, no, they didn't want to be there for us. Um, I even thinking 10 years ago when we were occupying the Capitol in Tallahassee, Florida, uh, in the name of Trayvon Martin uh, with Dream Defenders and a bunch of other organizations, we had so many elders come visit us in the Capitol while we were occupying. 
Um, and even now, uh, last year, SNCC, the, non the Student Nonviolent Action Coordinating Committee, celebrated its 60th anniversary. They're holding a conference in 21 days. Uh, folks should Google the information or find it on Instagram. There's an, uh, a website for the conference that's coming up. And I just think how precious it is for us to have so many elders uh, that are still here with us, that have so much to share and testify, and then also give us advice for. Um, I did the Black Voters Matter bus tour earlier this summer, and it was the anniversary of commemoration of the Freedom Rides that took place in the South. And what was amazing about that, Roland, was that we stopped in 10 different cities, and we didn't talk about just the figureheads that everybody is a household name for. We didn't talk about John Lewis. We didn't talk about Rosa Parks. We didn't talk about Fannie Lou Hamer. We talked about the individual organizers of every single one of those cities. And as one of the program coordinators, you know, I got to uh, interact with them and then usher them to the stage so that they could give their remarks and share about what happened when they were there and what do they want us to take away from that moment. And specifically being in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, for the rally in Memphis, Tennessee, there was an elderly woman who was there who was one of the Freedom Riders, who's still here to this day. And she said, look at me, young lady. And I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> you know, my family's from Louisiana, so I just have a different level. That was, look at me, young lady. Yes, ma'am. She said, you, you will remember the stories. You will remember when it happened. You will remember how it made us feel. You might not remember our names, but you will remember the work. And that's all we ask. We want you not to honor us as individuals, but to acknowledge what we went through and never forget your history. And I was like in program mode. I had my little walkie-talkie. I was like, I had the little agenda. And I was like, yes, ma'am. Even my work at the NAACP for the last three years and the elders who were there, I, the, there's so much wisdom that is available to us. It's unfortunate that folks learn about the wisdom uh, after folks, like you said, transition to go be in glory. But uh, we have a super big gift with us. And if folks are interested, uh, like I said, uh, SNCC is having their 60th anniversary. There are a lot of elders who are organizing Freedom Summer, bus rides, civil rights movement, who are still here with us now and trying to give folks the information at large scale. And they're not always, um, uh, uh, you know, given the platform to, be, to, to go viral and to get the information out. But thankfully, because if we have shows like this, we can talk about black people, we talk about our folks. Uh, and our people are having a conference, and we need to show up for them and, and get all that knowledge because uh, history repeats itself. A few weeks ago, we were in Los. Go, Robert, go ahead. Uh, uh, no, just just to piggyback off of that, I, I do want people to remember too. Uh, don't <coughs> just start remembering people after they pass. Give, give right. them their flowers while they are still here. Uh, for example, Reverend Jackson being released from uh, his Parkinson rehabilitation today, so I want to give a shout out to him and give an update on him uh, coming back to us and making sure that we see these people who have fought for 75 years still fighting today to give us the energy that we need to fight back against the Joe Manchin and Christian Cinema. Also, we have the Rainbow Post Conference coming next month. CreatingOpportunities.org. Um, absolutely. And folks, a few weeks ago, we were in Los Angeles uh, doing a variety of interviews. And one of the folks uh, we sat down and talked with was Mario Van Peebles during that conversation. Of course, as he always does, he's always invoking uh, his father. And uh, he told the story uh, of, going, of his dad uh, taking him to a bar mitzvah and what he learned from his father about the experience. Watch this. The things that my dad saw in me, he saw, he said, okay, I know how to deal with Mario. He's an ambitious cat, so I know what I can do with him, but that's not the same thing I can do with his brother. One size fits all, parenting doesn't get it. And how I many siblings you have? 
Uh, I have a, a brother and a sister. Got it. Yeah. One size fits all parenting doesn't get it. You know, so he was able to. I'll give you a case. Let me tell you one quick thing. This happened to me. I was writing a book on it called Free Thinker about my dad and my mm -hmm. mom. I never knew what my dad was going to say. Smart cat, man. My sister and I were in LA once, and he said, I want to take you guys to a bat mitzvah. We said, What's a bat mitzvah? He said, It's a you know, celebration, and it's, it's part of it. it's a religious celebration and a coming of age thing, and I'm going to bring you. So my sister and I went, and there were these little beautiful Jewish kids, kind of nervous, kind of nerdy, and you know, standing around, no one dancing. And me and my sister could dance. Yeah, we, get, we look like the Jackson 5 at the time. <laughs> I had a big old afro, she had a big red afro. So we turned the music up, talked to the DJ, and we, we got out of the floor. We tore it up. And my dad was watching. And after we were dancing for a while, he said, come here, I want to talk to you. We thought, what's he going to say, you know? He said, um, I love y'all, you know, uh, but I'm very disappointed because you two are beautiful and you know you're beautiful and you know you can dance, but you're not bringing out the beauty in the other people. There's two things we love about people, Mario and Megan. We love who they are and we love who we are with them. You'll never know what that man who had been to Auschwitz was thinking or that little Jewish girl is thinking because the way you're dancing is so intimidating they're going to just watch you and applaud you, but you're not bringing out what they applaud in themselves. Mm -hmm. So you guys are going to miss out, and I'm disappointed. So he, did, did, did he want y'all to bring them to the Brother, dance we floor? went back out. Let me tell you, we went back out. My sister got the old man up. I got the girl up. We got everybody up, and the guy wound up funding my movie years later, the kid who's bat mitzvah. Wow. You got to bring out the beauty in others. See that? that you see what I'm saying? See, and my dad understood good allies come in all colors. They don't just look like you or vote like you. Don't leave love it's, on the it's, table. It's funny. I'm going to share a few more uh, clips from that interview of Mario Van Peebles talking about his dad, Melvin Van Peebles. Uh, right now, I want to go to director, cinematographer, the guru of the look of films, uh, Ernest Dickerson. You've seen a lot of the work he's done with Spike Lee uh, and others. He joins us right now just off the set. Ernest. Uh, just, uh, just share your thoughts uh, with the folks watching and listening about uh, Melvin Van Peebles. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit NFL.com slash schedule release to learn more. Well, I'm, I'm shocked. Uh, you know, I mean, it's I, I lost a brother last week and uh, I lost a father this week. Um, Melvin was a father to us all. He was the force of nature who who was the godfather for all modern filmmakers. You know, he was the one that started it back with Sweet Sweetback. But even before that, you know, he was an accomplished artist. I remember... I first heard of Melvin when he was, uh, he did an album uh, being Brer Soul and, uh, and listening to some of his, uh, his music and, and some of his, uh, his word stylings. And, and he was also an accomplished playwright. You know, I, I saw the, the, the play Ain't Supposed to Die a Natural Death when it played. So he, he was a force of nature. He was an inspiration to all of us. And, um, can't believe he's gone. Um, I, we were talking to Rob Hardy uh, earlier about uh, Melvin Van Peebles and, and how, look, he, folks had to learn the hustle uh, and, and how he made the movie and how he was fiercely independent. And, you know, you got a lot of folks who, who, who want to be accepted into uh, the traditional Hollywood system. But what we're seeing right now, we're seeing because of the, the, the proliferation of other outlets, the ability for independent black artists to maintain a hold of their work. The sister who, uh, and again, uh, I think it's who just won the Emmy uh, for writing, Netflix wanted to offer her a million bucks, uh, didn't want to give her ownership. She says, no, 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 I need ownership and creative control, held it and got it from the BBC and HBO. Uh, you know. He was about no, 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 no. I'm gonna do this my damn way, and there's a there's a there's a cost to do that, doing that, but there's still something about being able to have complete control. Uh, Melvin was almost like a modern uh, Oscar Michaud. You know, Oscar Michaud was doing it on his own terms as well. Mm -hmm. You know, getting it out there the best way he could. And um, when uh, Melvin made uh, Sweet Sweetback, it was. Um, it was revolutionary. He did it on his own terms. He did it, you know, raised the funds for it and everything else. But everything that he did was cutting edge. Everything he did was always, um, you know, stretching the medium further. You know, something like Watermelon Man, the way <laughs> to have uh, Godfrey Cambridge made up as a white guy was, uh, was pretty strong stuff for the year that it came out, which is, uh, I think, maybe around 68, 69. But... Um, but yeah, he he was a genius, and um, 
And, you know, not only not only in the art, but also financially, you know, I think he also had some success on Wall Street, if I'm not if I'm not wrong. Yeah, he was uh, well, time he was a uh, a stock. He was a trader on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Yeah. Uh, the only black. <laughs> I mean, that, that was in the 80s. Yeah. So he was like, hey, you know what? What the heck? I'm the stock trader. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. An amazing, you know, like I said, force of nature. And um, and and he was unstoppable. Indeed. Until now. But he's still with us. His spirit is with us. He's not stopped. He's going to continue to inspire us uh, as long as we're in it, as long as we're lasting, as long as we're here, carrying on his name. Uh, absolutely. Ernest Dickerson, my brother, I appreciate you joining us, sharing your thoughts and reflections uh, about uh, life and legacy of Melvin Van Peebles. Thank you for having me. Yes, sir. Uh, here's what Melvin Van Peebles had to say about being a pioneer uh, to the National Visionary Leadership Project. Um, how do you feel about the overall what's going on in terms of the variety, in terms of what black directors are doing, not doing, any feelings at all about? Nope. Nope. No, I, I don't, no, my job. <laughs> to have feelings about, I, I, the one thing that, that overshadows or that trumps everything, I think that a large part of it is possible to make it possible. Okay. Now. Um, Spike Lee uh, is very uh, clear about being inspired by you. That you have meant a great deal to him um, artistically. Um, does that make you feel, I don't know, um, is it a positive feeling to be revered in that Absolutely. Way? Beats a burnt stick in the eye. Hmm? Look, we can go around and I'm the Rosa Parks of, of the, the industry. Okay. Boom. Over and out. Again, you make it seem really simple, you know, but being the Rosa But, but the is, 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 he ain't. I is so far. Somebody says, oh, Rosa Parks got on the bus and they helped us all. Duh. What do you both to think about that? It's true. It's true, yeah. And then I know. People... So when something's true, then fine, mm -hmm. okay. Okay. And, but, 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 and, but the, the, with the caveat, many times things are true. Now, now what happens, you... Early on, after Sweetback of this and that, everybody was being touted as the as the the, the beginner or the this or the that. I mean, they were <laughs> going to do an article about the the, the, the people, and me and Richard Roundtree and the da 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 da. I said, Well, wait a minute, guys, we we ain't all in the the same category here. Hmm. Well, but you were going to do this thing called drown the fish. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. No. And so we're doing an interview. I said, wait a minute, you don't do an interview about Kubrick and Corman. What the hell are you doing one about me and such and such? Huh? Well, so, no, go ahead and do it without me. Okay. 
<laughs> that, you know what, you know what Tiffany, I love about that? Um, his whole deal is, okay, fine, I did it, next. Where, exactly where, where, whereas, so nice others, whereas others would ride that for the rest of their lives and, and sort of demand the... So I remember uh, 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 Joe DiMaggio had a requirement that anytime he was introduced, uh, he had to be introduced as the greatest living baseball player of all time, which was kind of a joke because there were other greater players than him, like Willie Mays. But, uh, but that was sort of like, anytime he got introduced, that's how he was introduced. There, there was so much humility in that. Um, it was almost a little scary. Because I don't, I don't know the last time I've ever seen somebody say, listen, okay, yeah, I did all that. I understand my, I understand what I did. Let's move on. What else you got to talk about? <laughs> and she was, you could, hear, you could hear the interviewer say, what? No, like, 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 damn, I, I thought I was going to get, like, a great answer out of it. Now I got to ask something else. Um... She didn't know what to do. She was stuck. She was like, I, what? You realize who you are, don't you? He's like, yeah, okay, I'm Rosa Parks of this industry. Okay, keep going. What else? And all of us are like, no, you can't move on from that, sir. You're incredible. You're amazing. I think that's there's so much humility in that. And um, in addition to all the other things that people are going to learn about him, I, I think that that's one of the things in that clip that I'm just going to take away for the rest of the day of, like, it's not about me. It's not about me. I think that's beautiful. Rest in peace and, and praying for his family in this transition. I think that's beautiful. Uh, this is what uh, Spike Lee posted uh, on Instagram. Uh, Spike said, I'm so sad by the loss of my brother Melvin Van Pe Peebles, uh, who brought independent black cinema to the forefront with his groundbreaking film, <coughs> Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. He personally signed this poster for, to me. Melvin was a big supporter of my film career. He even showed up to the set of Do the Right Thing. Damn, we have lost another giant. Uh, here's the video, folks, that we promised earlier of uh, director-producer Will Packer. Van Peebles was an icon, the godfather of contemporary black cinema, period. There would be no Will Packer. There would be none of the many other contemporary black filmmakers that we have today. We're all his sons. We're all his daughters. He, bla he blazed a trail that we're all following. We're all following his trail. Thank you, sir. Rest in power, legend. Uh, it was interesting uh, listening to Melvin Van Peebles answer that question in our interview with Mario Van Peebles. Uh, he shared this uh, funny anecdote about Melvin Van Peebles and Sidney Poitier. Interesting, my, when I remember because you started this by asking about my dad, uh, Poitier, Sidney Poitier, presented my father with a Lifetime Achievement Award. And so you hear Poitier, and then Melvin Van Peebles comes up. And my dad took the words, thank you, brother. He said, put the music on. We just go and dance. And him and Poitier started dancing. He said, we've done enough. We've talked enough. We've interviewed enough. We have earned it. Let's dance. In fact, all of y'all get up and dance with us. And that was it. <laughs> That was it. He like, I ain't giving a speech. No, no, that was it. I think, I think, I think remembering, and that's part of the joy of it, is remembering to have fun. That right there, Tiffany, first of all, that sounds like something, Tiffany, that uh, uh, you would do. Uh, just, yeah, let's just go ahead and just dance. Let's just, yeah, we ain't got to get no speech. You probably would do a, head, a headstand uh, on the, uh, uh, a headstand uh, on the stage. Uh, yeah, that's something, that's something, yeah, that, that you would do. Yeah, uh-huh. You know me too well. But it, it, living in the moment is what I got from that. 
Like, okay, yeah, we gonna celebrate, talk about me, 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 me. Let's, let's all. He wanted something bigger than that. I think that's so beautiful. You're absolutely right. I would have did some stuff like that. I said, all right, y'all, cue music. DJ dropped that beat, did a headstand, and whatever outfit I was wearing, so that we can have a good time, because that's that's what it's about. Um, we we don't get a lot of that, folks. Folks, it's about me, me, me. Credit, 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 credit. Um, and I I think that you know, uh, young people. I'm 32. Young people, we get so uh, excited when we learn new things. And to hear Spike Lee and to hear Will Packer and everybody else talk about how much of an icon he was to them, and then some of them are our role models, we're like, oh, there's levels to this. And we got work to do to learn who these people were, and it's unfortunate that we've lost a giant um, in that transition for us to know about them, but there's so much more that there is to be learned about him. Um, I would have definitely done some stuff like that, but, but you got to live in the moment. You got to live in the moment. Uh, this is the um, uh, tweet from Sally Richardson. Uh, I've just heard that this dear special man has passed away. Melvin Van Peebles was my father in my first big movie, Posse, and also a filmmaker that paved the way for me and many others. Mario Van Peebles, I'm so sorry for your loss, my friend. Love you much and prayers for the family. Uh, she posted that uh, about 40 uh, minutes ago. And so you see the likes of Terry Vaughn, uh, Mara Akil and others uh, commenting there uh, on her page. Uh, we have uh, a another soundbite um, here of Mario Van Peebles talking about uh, his dad's uh, epic film, Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. It's when Melvin Van Peebles says, okay, I made my little movie Watermelon Man. It was a comedy, cool. But now I'm gonna make a film called Sweetback. I'm gonna fund it myself. I'm gonna have a multiracial crew. I'm gonna own it. And you make a movie and say, I've got a new band called Earth, Wind, and Fire in this movie. And you make the movie that becomes the top grossing independent hit. You never got another job offer after that. And I said, Daddy, why? You could make a movie, that, Sweetback, that made 15 million when it was a dollar a ticket. That'd be like me and you going off and making a movie that makes 150 million today at $10 a ticket. So why wouldn't you get another job offer? He said, son, if you go into a pool hall and everyone counts on the fact that you can't play pool, and you play along with it, and scratch and fumble, and then you whoop ass to take all the money. You can't go in the same pool hall again. The pool hall is called Hollywood. Mm -hmm. They don't like that. So you have, to be, you have to understand that sometimes that means, Roland, and I know you know this already, that you have to be bold enough to do it on your own. Not everyone's going to be cut from that cloth. That's what a revolutionary is. Mm. I think that's probably the best way uh, we can end uh, tonight's show, uh, the tribute to Melvin Fan Peoples. Uh, he passed away today at his home in Manhattan, surrounded by his family, at the age of 89. Uh, there's no doubt uh, more tributes will be pouring in, talking about him, talking about his life, uh, his legacy, uh, and uh, we certainly appreciate that. And folks. What you saw there were portions of the interview that I did with Mario Van Peebles. Uh, it is for a one-on-one -on -one show uh, that uh, we will that will be called Rolling with Roland that will be on Black Star Network, which is one of the reasons why we do that. In the spirit of a Melvin Van Peebles, it's independent. Don't have to ask anybody's opinion. Don't have to ask anybody's permission to do it. We just do it. We own the cameras. We get on the plane. We go make it happen and we tell our stories, and that's why it's important uh, to do so. And so, I don't know, I saw, matter of fact, I, I saw a tweet uh, earlier, um, my homegirl Heidi Barker, uh, she, uh, I've known her for years with NABJ, uh, she, um, she tweeted this, 
Um, and um, she tweeted this, wondering if any of the big three network news shows covered the death of Melvin Van Peebles tonight. Uh, and here's the deal, folks. We don't worry about what they do. The reality is um, we know they are not going to dedicate uh, 45 minutes or an hour to paying tribute to Melvin Van Peebles, but that's why we have Roland Martin Unfiltered. That's why we have the Black Star Network, because as the first black, black newspaper, Freedom's Journal, said on March 16th, 1827, we wish to plead our own cause to long have others spoken for us. And so this is about us being able to tell our story, for us being able to celebrate in our way, our former elders who now transition to ancestors. So we want you to download the Black Star app. It's on every available platform, Apple, Android, uh, Apple, uh, you have Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Fire Stick, uh, Samsung TV, Xbox, all of those platforms. You can also join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar you give goes to support this show. Cash app, dollar sign, RM Unfiltered. PayPal, R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zelle is rolling at rollingsmartin.com, rolling at rollingmartinunfiltered.com. And you know what? You can't worry about what others have to say. You can't worry about what others uh, do. You can't worry about if uh, people are just saying this, that, and the other about you. You know what you got to do? You just got to go ahead and just do what you do. Uh, you got to go ahead and, um, and do it. Uh, and like uh, uh, Melvin Van Peebles, he didn't worry about uh, what uh, uh, people said about him, uh, he just went ahead and do it. Uh, he just went ahead uh, uh, and did it and, and didn't matter. And so that, folks, is what I think uh, is uh, so important about his story. Uh, and if you don't know uh, about him, if you don't know what he represents, uh, then uh, again, um, uh, uh, take the opportunity uh, to learn about Melvin Van Peebles and his amazing story. And so with that, we will see you tomorrow right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. I'm late. I'm late for the important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com. Come.